And thank you so much for joining us once again. It is the Nightly Pleasures Podcast, Season 2, Episode 10. Ugh, so much to get into today, and I just want to be brief. So, very quickly, thank you to everybody who's contributed to the Moving Fund. I appreciate it, and you very much. You can find the progress bar every single day on my blog or my Twitter. The Twitter is at RealGreyNight. Uh, again, at real gray G R E Y night. Uh, that's on Twitter, and the Tumblr blog address is uh, graynighterotica.tumblr.com. Almost like I can't remember it, or something like that. Again, exciting show today, and you've waited long enough, haven't you? Your week is almost over, isn't it? So let's get right into it. Today, an excerpt about strenuous submission and sensual domination. It's by Aletha Romig, and it's from an excerpt of her upcoming book, available on the 22nd of October. It's called Unforgettable. Once again, this is an excerpt from the upcoming book, Unforgettable, by Aletha Romig. Let's enjoy, shall we? A shriek fills the air following the whistle of the crop and slab. Though I know the sound escaped from the depths of my throat, echoing throughout room four, I don't recall releasing it. It wasn't my plan, yet I can't recall why. Gasping for air, I grip the soft covers beneath me as my forehead falls to the same silky surface. Tears now coat my cheeks, gliding from beneath my light blue mask, and yet through it all, those auxiliary sensations barely register. A rapid secession singular strikes on my sensitive core morph like a cloud mushrooming higher and higher into the sky until it's one prolonged overwhelming consciousness of being. I struggle for breath, attempting to keep my future cries inaudible for the rest of the world, the room, everything except Mr. Santana's actions vanish. It isn't a fog that slowly descends as I've heard it described, the escape from reality is instantaneous, as if a curtain has fallen. The lights are out. Everything is gone. Zapping electricity such as I could never imagine streaks through my body, originating at my core the impulses created by the strike of the crop to my tender skin flash, coursing with lightning speed in all directions until my flesh peppers with goosebumps, my skin glistens with the sheen of perspiration, and every hair on my body stands to attention. Like a lightning rod in a thunderstorm, I fight to maintain my position, to fulfill my purpose. The winds blow stronger, bending me, pushing me until my body collapses upon the bed. No longer kneeling, as I'd been told, I'm floating in a turbulency of sensory stimulations. I hear my heart beating in my veins, my ragged breaths, and his deep baritone timber rumbling through the mayhem. Sure, strong hands roam across my hypersensitive skin. They are no longer censored only at my core, but caressing me, all of me. Mr. Santana rolls me to my back as he continues to caress. The room is no longer echoing with my cries of pain. Instead, the noises dancing around us are comprised of moans and whimpers indicative of my wanton needs. Are those sounds coming from me? 
I can't be certain of anything until dark eyes come into view, penetrating the obliteration his punishment brought and settling me like an anchor in the center of the storm. The gleaming brown orb stared down at me as the musk of expensive cologne fills my senses and the firmest of bodies covers me. I try to hold on, to reach for his shoulders, and yet my hands are still bound above my head. Tender words begin to register as firm lips kiss my cheeks, neck, and shoulders. Lower and lower he moves, inch by inch, such an explorer in the wilderness. He investigates every peak and valley, kiss by kiss, until he stops just above my core. The eyes are black. The warmth of his body is again over me. You amaze me, Moria. You're so strong. I'm so proud of you. His tone brings his praise to life, reverberating through me and lessening the sting left behind from his crop. Good girls deserve a reward. His large hand cradles my chin, drawing my gaze to his as his thumb wipes away a new tear that escaped my mask. I'm not aware that I'm crying or certain of why. I've never been this overwrought with a kaleidoscope of emotions. When my eyes flutter shut, I see the colors spinning, uncertain of what they mean. His voice comes back, causing my lids to open. Or this can end, if it's too much. End? Confusion cools my skin. Moria, he says firmly. This is how this works. You have the power to make this stop. Is that what you want? Exhaling, I thank the stars for his words are registering, yet my body is still too overstimulated to respond verbally. I move my head. It isn't much. A little shake from side to side. All the while my mind is yelling, even begging, for this to continue. For my promised reward. I don't want this to stop. Please don't stop. I've never been more focused on my needs in my entire life. Mr. Santana's cheeks rise. You're saying you want your reward? <laughs> yes, sir. My ragged voice finds its way to my tongue as Mr. Santana lowers his face near mine. The slight bristle of his cheek connecting with my dampened one. You're perfect. His words rumble near my ear. My eyes close as he moves down my body, lifting my legs, spreading my thighs. I feel the movement, yet my energy is gone. I'm a puppet for his pleasure, a rag doll, capable of only moving as he positions, pulling the strings. There's a warm breath at my tender core. I don't have time to register. Ah! My scream is even louder than before as his tongue breaches my folds, finding my tender, punished core. Without warning, my entire body convulses from without and within. I've never been blindsided by an orgasm before, and yet that's what's happening. My inside clenches as my wrists fight the restraints. I'm incapable of comprehension or cognitive thought. I'm raw and primal. 
I'm sensations and orgasms. Time means nothing as I writhe and wriggle. Lap after lap, nip after nip, his teeth graze my swollen clit, his tongue delves deeper. Mr. Santana doesn't even slow his assault. Or is it this reward, sucking and nipping as fireworks explode while simultaneously each nerve within me whines tighter? Please, sir, I beg as the pleasure continues to build to a painful new pitch. Yes, sir, or no, sir, he says. I need to be inside you now. Pulling against the restraints, my body regains some control. Please, sir, please. I've never wanted something or someone this much. I barely register as he sits back down on his haunches, unlatches his belt, unbuckens his slacks, and lowers his silky boxers. Such as I'm watching a movie, he's there with his glorious penis in view, hard and thick, the tip glistening with his need as it grows even longer. Has delirium set in? This scene seems too perfect to be real. I can't believe the ideal specimen of a man is with me, taking me and fulfilling my fantasies. With a condom in place, Mr. Santana leans forward and lavishes his newfound attention upon my breasts. Next time, I want to punish these tents. The stripe of a crop and clamps. They look stunning with clamps as your nipples harden. Next time, those words dominate his speech. He said next time. I try to listen and comprehend, but I can't concentrate beyond the probe of his length against my tummy as I lift my knees higher, wanting, no, Needing him inside me. One finger, then two, expose my entrance and sink deep inside me. I let out a sigh as they bend, teasing my nerves and bringing me higher. Moria, you honor me with your tears and your wet pussy. He adds a third finger. Fuck, you're so tight. Please. My lips disappear beneath my teeth as he sinks into me. I try to suppress the shout as my neck strains and back arches. Give them to me, Moria. Let me hear your screams of pleasure. Pleasure. Pain. The boundaries have become blurred. My wrists pull against the restraints as my now hoarse voice fills the room. Deeper and deeper he thrusts, stretching my punished core until we are fully connected. Mr. Santana stills as his dark eyes stare down at me. Talk to me, Moria. My head nods. His finger moves over my lips. Words. Let me hear your words. Tell me you can handle this. His head shakes. I wasn't planning. I couldn't stop. I don't know what I see in his gaze. My overstimulated mind doesn't comprehend. Yet, I bow my neck upward until my lips meet his. Please, sir, don't stop. I don't know what to plan or expect. I still don't. I want this. The domination he's shown shifts with his movements, like a sad melody. His rhythm decelerates, and a new slow burn sparks to life inside me. Flickering like a spark to a flame, this isn't like the other orgasms he's provided. 
This isn't even like the pain he's given me. In some unattainable way, it is pain he's sharing with me. It's sensual and poignant. I feel it in my core and my soul. Mr. Santana takes as he gives. I lose count of all the times he brings me to ecstasy. And while none are as earth-shattering as the first, and my bruised core is exhausted beyond my wildest imagination, I don't want it to end. At some point, he releases my wrists. Multiple times, he replaces the condom. No longer face-to-face, -face, he moves me in ways I've only heard about as he continues to take me, or maybe use me. I don't know which it is, and ashamedly, I don't care. It's more of a connection than I've experienced with anyone in my entire life. This experience is everything I imagined, and more. A peaceful bliss settles over us until, just before I try to sleep, I realize that I don't even know his real name, or he, mine. And here's hoping you enjoyed that piece. Once again, that's an excerpt from Aletha Romig that is from her upcoming book, Unforgettable, October 22nd. And surely, after such an unforgettable excerpt, you are very interested indeed. Uh, now, it's the original piece. It goes by the name Lady Priestess, and a lot like the previous piece from last week, it was heavily, heavily, heavily requested by you. You guys want some more M-sub? You guys want more intimacy? Well, what do you request? You tend to end up getting, at least if you're patient. So, here it comes, a piece called... Lady Priestess You know I would do anything for you. Anything. There is nothing you could name. There is nothing you can ask. There is nothing at all. It's not if I have it will I give it. No. If I do not have it, I will acquire it. I will get it for you. I will become it. I will be it. I will do what must be done. If it is unthinkable, I will find a mind that thinks it. If it cannot be devised, I will find the genius. That is what you deserve. That is what you are to me. That is who I must be. And I must be them for you, with you, for you, my priestess. And you are. You are my high priestess. You are. And all that comes along with it. I am your servant. I am your pawn. I will move as you instruct. You do not have to use your words. You do not have to use your fingers. You do not have to use anything but your eyes 
I have studied you. I have learned what you need. I know it better than you. I know it better than you know yourself. Because servants can only aspire to their priest's whims. And why a priestess? Why not a god or a goddess? Why not divine? Why not something beyond all mortal comprehension? Why an order of man, divine as it might be? And the answer is simple. The answer is simple. I am failure. I am flesh. I will only let you down. But in this Congress, in what you and I can make together, in our worship, that, that can be perfect. That, that can be worthy of you, even if only for a moment, even if only in a perfect moment. Because, you see, I feel it, I need it, as my hands move over your body, and I begin to open, I begin to leave through the book of worship, the manuscript and codex and testament that you are. I want to open you. I want to spring towards that perfect passage. I want to run my tongue over it. Let my lips recite it. Let me find perfection in it as I repeat it over and over and over again. Let you become my mantra. Let you become my divinity. And let me become more divine by approaching you, by showing you right and sacrament, by showing you peace and need. You, you are my tranquility, you are my hope, you are the thing that keeps me going. You, and you guide me as you must guide me now. You are my high priestess, and you must show me worship. You must show me that I must sacrifice and the comfort that I may get from it. You, you, and only you. Won't you take this poor, suffering fool, chaste and cast? and religious, and draw him in, bring him up with your fingers, put them on the back of his neck, and pull him down. You say, as the priestess is high, and looks down below, so too, if you are too tall, do you need to be brought low. The air is more poison and thin up above, you say. Come down here, you say. It is wrong to be alone 
up there, you say. And you push your lips against mine, and you part them, only for a moment to close them again. You do not want to invite me too quickly, not into the sacredness of your mouth. There, you tell me, isn't that better? Isn't that nicer? I nod. I will follow your worship. I will follow your command. I will follow your instruction. I will follow your eyes. I cannot resist from gripping you, my hands at your side, digging into your flesh. You are my worship. You know it. Your eyes sparkle. They are joyous even without a crack to your lips, even as you tease mine. When you pull back and I see them fully alight, fully engaged, I wonder and need and want. You tell me to sink lower, but without words this time, you pull me down. Your pinky tips dig into my shoulder, and I sink. I fall inches and inches, and then I'm at your navel. You cup your fingers into my hair, and you pull me in against it. I am not to kiss it, I know. My lips rub against it first directly. And then, as my head shifts and tilts to the left, and you make it clear you wish to hold me, you wish to have your hands on my cheek, you wish for my other cheek to rest against your sternum, you want the heat of our skin against one another, you are my high priestess. You will get what you want. You show me how to worship here by holding me. It is too long, a minute or two. I start to feel the sweat mixing between us, against us, and sliding down my face, your sternum, your soft belly. And it is only then that you peel me away, our skin stuck to each other for a second, and turn my lips back. I know immediately what to do and purse them. I kiss as you guide me, and I take up the small droplet of sweat. And then you tilt my lips upward just a fraction of a centimeter so that I can kiss and take that sweat from you too. Up, you tilt me again, kiss, up, again, kiss, up, again, kiss. Until you are dry. Until my lips have taken all the sweat away from you that they first gave you. And even now, is that enough? Is that going to give me anything? I am impatient 
and wondering. I will worship you. You just have to show me how. Is the question burning in my eyes? Can I say that the air is poison up there too? Will you get on your knees? Can we be near the same height again? Will you let me tower over you? The way that you always tower over me? No. Now your fingers run from my forehead down through the back of my hair, creasing it. My widow's peak pops up, and you move your index and middle finger around it. You pinch it, as though miming a pair of shears, as though you are going to cut my hair. Strip it bald. Make me an infidel. You love my hair so much, to do it would be to cause yourself great harm. Oh, the place it would show me, the humiliation it would bring me, outside this sacrosanct hall. You stroke me like this, one hand through my hair and then the other, over and over, each palm taking a side, before running them down my neck. You feel how muscular it is, you poke into it. You admire and enjoy it as you clasp my strong jaw. Then, lower. As you move your hand down my sternum, down my chest, down past my navel. You admire it, my naked torso. You move your hand to my underwear, the side of it, and you run your fingers over and over my waist in small, tantalizing circles, fingernails digging into the flesh between me and fabric. But even then, you do not pry or pull. You do not speak a word. Your eyes are alight in your hands and fingernails. Your fingertips and palms begin to play up my ribs on both sides, up and down my torso, up and down every part of me. And I have to endure it. It is fire. And I wave and waver. My skin gets hot and cold in ways that I cannot describe. And it is all that I can do not to shudder, not to shake. When I do, the mirth that appears, the quirk of your lips. Oh... I can tell that pleases you more than just about anything. It's not just having the man or admiring him. It's doing what you want with him. That is how I show you worship. In a way, no other man has shown you before. You pinch my nipples as suddenly as you moved your hands over them. You tweak them. And I do all I can not to hiss. I let out a small gasp. And I see your lips smirk even further. You release and then twist the other direction. The blood, the lack thereof, 
the pain. It excites me. I never thought that it would, and I don't enjoy doing it to you. But the pleasure that I see on your face, it's sublime. The way that I know your body is heating up for mine. I cannot help my own from following. How could I? And yet, there's still even more to you than I want, than I need, than I have to have. And the only way to get it is to give you everything. And so I wait, eyes patient, blue and vibrant, on yours. Then you pull me down. You use the leverage and the pressure on my nipples to pull me in towards the ground. My mouth is open, a hiss and roar merge and stampede out of my mouth. Then you use this position to shift your pelvis forward and have me run my lips up and down the front of your undergarment. I can feel your lips kissing me back, gripping me. You told me how you'd been training them, how you'd been working them, how soon, even though you were so tiny compared to me, I would stick myself inside you, and you would grip me and twist until it fell off. That you would be able to milk me like I were a cow, when and however you wished, the moment I was inside you. And this milking, you assure me, would be so much more pleasurable and so much more painful than when you do it with your finger up my backside. I only know one way to worship you when you're like this. Be still. Endure. Anything else will simply set you off. You turn your fingernails into rakes and you move them up and down my chest, just in that smooth motion, curled towards the heaven, pointed down towards hell. I can feel all sixteen agonizing rakes pulling in air. I wonder if any of them bleed, and if so, how much. Your eyes tell me nothing. They did not leave mine. They seemed almost empty as you did it. But the reaction I give, the pain and the shaking, that melts you. You push my lips back to your pussy, and this time, down, down, down go my eyes. I can see nothing of you, except your skin, except your thighs, except the front of your garment. And your lips pull from underneath it at mine, tug at my lower lip plumper than my top. In, in, in it goes, sinking into the garment before I feel your fingers leave me, before I feel them dip beneath your cloth, before you begin to slide it up and off. And there it is, and I so close to it, and you mock me.
You do it in a way that I could never have imagined from anyone else, much less have found so enticing. The way that you shake your hips, the way that you press your ass against the mattress, the way that your legs open and close. You are a marvel. You are a pilgrim's treasure. I would go on another journey just for this. The smell of you wafts up, and the temptation is so immense as you bring your pussy to the edge of my lips. And then you pull it back away, to and fro again, your eyes alight even though I cannot see them, the sound of your hair swishing against the sheets. I want you. I've endured all of this misery, all of this agony, just to get a little more of you. Why won't you give it to me? Why won't you show me? Why won't you give me that power? It tempts me and teases me. And even here, even in the still dark, I can see it glisten. I can see your pussy shake and move just from the line of rivulation that begins to stream out of it. You are my priestess. And I will worship you like the greatest lady in your God's court. When you finally push my head down, I eagerly begin to lap. I push my tongue in as hard and deep as I can. There is no hesitation. My tongue lifts from the base of you to the tip over and over again as frequently and as fast as I can. I need to hear you shift all the endurance and the pain, all of the frustration and demands, all leading up to this, the place that I can show my worth in and for you. There is a great way to do it, you see. I can use my tongue, and I can repeat all the songs that you have taught me before. They are very simple. They begin and end with the letter M, and they have no other character in them. They are hums, are hymns. They are absolutely the opposite of the dirges that we sing in church. No, these hymns are ours, and the method and the melody is instructional and deep. I push my tongue into you and moan. I take my tongue and swab it up and down you and moan. I grab you by your hips and moan. I feel the pain as a drop of blood falls from my chest and meshes with the sheet. My tongue only gets more intense cracks like a whip and dives further into you. You are nothing now. The thing that I worship is now worshiping me back, grabbing onto my tongue like it did my signs. 
you made me think that my cock would spring forth and I would push into you a most dangerous form of worship. And so instead, I give it to you all that I can, my tongue, my neck, the focus of which delving deep, 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 deep into your pussy. I extend further, my lips suctioning onto yours, pressing into and against yours for all that perfect suction. You are my priestess. You are my creation. You are my everything. But not until you cover my tongue with your cum. I push in again, lapping in small circles, going harder, further. My thumb comes up without your permission and begins to rub against your clitoral hood, pushing down, sliding against it, pressing you like a button. You are too tiny. You are too short, you are too weak to fight back as my tongue laps, presses, digs into you, against you. My finger roams around you in a circle. You wouldn't if you could, but even then, the shift of power is simply present. You must be worshipped now. I must give it. I endured the pain, the waiting. Now, now you must give me mine. I am the clergyman. I have come to visit this house of worship, and I need my holy water. Deep into you I go. Deep into you I need. Won't you give me what I have? What I have put inside you? What I have given you? The pleasure, the need, the power. It's overwhelming. Can't you feel it? Can't you feel it? As I get closer to you, as I dig into you, can't you feel it? You are my priestess, you are my priestess, you must come for me, you must come for me, you must come for me. And as you do, I remind myself that I have once again been a heretic, that I could not contain myself and drink too deeply of your chalice. There is only a moment of shame as I feel your body ease, the tension moving out of you. I finish licking. It is the softest I can kiss you, that I can lick you, that I can take the cum that I've made out of you. Without you jolting, without you shaking. I pull away and stand up. The vessel that I've been worshipping is damn near empty. I'm lying flat on her back, still on our bed. I check my chest in the mirror over the sink. There are indeed a few drops of blood but nothing significant, and the scratches will heal quite quickly. I cover them all the same, iodine. You cannot abide the smell, but you do make the wounds, and you do want them to close. 
I taper it off with a bandage. I hope the smell will not offend you too much. And then I go to the kitchen. I grab your favorite, a pear, although you always say you want to wait until morning. I pour you a bit of water. I return to your table, our bed, and place them there. I make sure that the fire is really going to roar throughout the night. I think it's going to be a cold one. I don't particularly care what the prognosticators say. And you, you always think it's so silly. I do not put faith in them. Still, we can hope. If the fire is too warm, we can always tamper it down. But building it back up again when the room is cold, when I am in bed with you, after I have worshipped you so? Nothing makes less sense to me. And so as a precaution, just like the water, just like the pear, I build the fire up and place on another handsome log. When I return to bed this time, you are more aware and awake. You enjoy it so much sometimes, the trance as it takes you over. And my smile. You call me beloved this time. You call me such sweet names. Your voice so much higher and lighter than it was before. You touch my bandage. You wrinkle your nose. And then you lean up and purse your lips twice in the air, like a fish who's just been caught. I lean down and kiss you. I finish taking off my undergarment, and you blush and look away. I slide in beneath you from behind, and then it is my right thigh stuck between your legs. I can feel the heat of you dripping onto it. I wrap my arms around you, tight, full, and kiss the back of your head. You ask about my cock, and you can feel it hard against you. And I say, simply, that we will take care of it in the little hours. You'll wake up. You'll drink your water. You'll wake me by nibbling on your pear. And then, I'll have you eat something else. And hopefully you enjoyed that piece. Goodness gracious, it's uh, it was, it was done because of all the requests for more male sub stuff. I guess I've just been too dominant lately, and I guess in season three I'm gonna have to do at least one more, begging you for your wonderful, wonderful sex kind of pieces. What do you say? Well. In addition to that, I say it's time for some questions and answers. We've got two questions today. The first is a quick one from Maya. So, Jack, because you're something of a polymath, I was curious as to whether or not you've thought about the singularity. Do you think that it's something that will actually happen? And if so, what sort of timetable do you think we're working with? Well, thank you very much for calling me a polymath. I, uh... I, I usually get called Polly in, in different 
uh, terms. So always nice to hear that one. Uh, I'm blushing a little bit because I, I certainly don't consider myself one, but thank you. I know it's a big compliment. The singularity in this case, in case you're wondering if Maya is talking about a black hole, uh, she is most likely not. Maya is talking about a kind of artificial intelligence, uh, a kind of consciousness. Uh, for those of you who have seen movies like Ex Machina or uh, – I'm trying to think of movies in recent years that dealt with this. Uh, what's the second What's the second Avengers called? Age of Ultron. Uh, for those of you who have seen those movies, the singularity is a robot whose intelligence – it doesn't have to physically be a robot – whose intelligence – but it does help to think of them as a robot – whose intelligence uh, essentially is capable of linking up – with itself in such a way that it can think beyond the way that we can think with computers. That's that's a little bit of a slapdash uh, explanation, but I haven't been in, involved in singularity uh, like articles and, and whatnot in a while. So slapdash is going to have to do. It's essentially a AI or a computer or a robot that can think beyond the ways that we propose to think. I'm going to mention uh, a name from the George W. Bush administration, so trigger warning there. Donald Rumsfeld, for all that I dislike him, he really did have some wisdom on him. Uh, and my favorite piece of Rumsfeldian wisdom is that there are known knowns, known unknowns, and unknown unknowns. And I legitimately have not heard that idea expressed better before or since. It's a fantastic way to look at, at things when you're, when you're making a decision tree. So this is a computer who is capable of thinking and interacting with thoughts that are unknown unknowns to where we are right now, to our best and brightest. Think of all the things that the smartest person you know doesn't know, and this is a computer program that is thinking and interacting uh, with these thoughts and making them manifest. So do I think this is going to happen? The answer is no, I actually don't. Uh, I was much more concerned with it about 10 years ago. Uh, I was really convinced, truly convinced, that by 2020, we'd have something called level five driving. And I'm hardly the only one. Lots of billionaires invested in this, lots of governments, lots of NGOs invested lots of money and lots of research and lots of talent. Uh, basically, all of Uber is an experiment. Uh, there's a whole company that's that's uh, basically just Alphabet slash Google uh, called Waymo that's an experiment in this. Uh, and I'm not going to get too far into it because I've already gone down a real nerdy rabbit hole talking about this. But basically, we thought that we were going to get cars that could drive themselves better than people by now. A lot of people did. Uh, and I'm one of them. I really did. And I'm utterly shocked that we are so far behind level five driving that really what we have on the road in Vegas, what we have on the road with Waymo, what uh, GE and Ford are looking to produce in, in, in Florida uh, are really level three or level 3.5 if you want to be like cutesy about it. That's insane to me. And the ability to drive a car is pretty, pretty hard. So that's the first 
I mean, are pretty, pretty easy compared to making an AI that can think about things that, that we can't think about in a way that actually involves cognition. So that's the first little bit of, well, gosh, that seems like we're not going to quite get there. Uh, the second strike against singularity fear for me is that we almost seem to be further from a model of consciousness, whether or not we're talking about AI or just human beings, than we were 10 years ago. It truly seems, from a layman's perspective, when you read about models of consciousness and why they're not accurate or why they fail in any kind of model, whether it be psychological, whether it be philosophical, whether it be AI and computer programming, uh, it, it's really quite intense. And I, I keep coming back to this question probably because I have a cat, but do you think in your lifetime we are going to be able to mathematically simulate the cognition of a cat. Not the IQ of a cat, not the behavior of a cat, but do you think that we'll come up with an algorithm that can reliably facilitate the cognitive curiosity of a cat? Do you think if we took that algorithm and we put it in different robot bodies, that did not know that they were supposed to be cats, that they would then use those robot bodies in the way a cat would, a cat's cognition would? Or are we going to have to program every robot body in the future specifically to do that thing? And as I look at the model of consciousness and, and the complications that keep arising uh, with any kind of consciousness, cognition, much less sentience, and the singularity does require not just intelligence, not just cognition, not just the ability to problem solve, uh, but it requires consciousness as well. It requires sentience as well. It just – it seems that by the time that we get there, that our understanding of computers is going to be incredibly great. If you say, oh, well, we'll get there in 40 years. 40 years ago was 1979. Please look at the difference between programming and psychological understanding between 79 and now. Uh, I, I really do. I, I wouldn't say I was ever afraid. There's a couple of things that I, I read about that I was deeply afraid of. One of them, if you really want to read up, is a, I believe it's a comet called Apophis. Uh, that bad boy is kind of scary. If that bad boy hit us, that would be the end of everything. That one was a little one. Uh, I used to believe in something called nuclear zero. I still believe in nuclear zero but or global zero. Um, but, you know, <laughs> less after these last couple of years and, and watching all these dictators just get their way for so long. Uh, that's become less entrenched. Uh, I don't. I don't mean to to keep talking on too much about this, but you hit a real interesting point. So thank you for it, Maya. Uh, that is <clears throat> way too much thinking and way too much explaining about the singularity. Thank you so much, Maya. We have one more series of questions from Kendra. Hey, Jack. This is Kendra. And first, I wanted to say thank you for the awesome content that you put out. You're very welcome. And I actually have three burning questions. Um, the first one is, who is your favorite comedian and why? <laughs> my my favorite comedian overall that I go to, because people know him internationally at least, is Eddie Izzard. 
it's it's been 20 years since he released Dress to Kill. I think Dress to Kill is still relevant. I think it's still funny. I think it's still sharp. Um, and, and he's just overall very funny uh, and, and a very enjoyable man. I've, I've enjoyed his serious acting. I've enjoyed his funny acting. Uh, I like Eddie Izzard a lot and kind of in the bag for him. Uh, Wendy Liebman. Ugh, I'm so bad with names. Wendy Liebman? Probably Liebman. I probably just accidentally <laughs> committed some kind of anti-Semitic hate crime. So apologies there. Uh, Wendy Liebman or Wendy Lieberman? One of the two is probably, along with Robin Williams, would be the two comics that I emulated the most. Uh, I never really tried to make a go of a comedy career, but I did try stand up a couple times at open mics and shit, you know, five minutes, you're tight five, yada, yada, yada. And the two that I realized that my voice was was really trying to emulate with those two and their ability to just switch stances and to – I call them stances uh, – switch stances and to move in and out of uh, of not just jokes but targets very, very quickly. Uh, Wendy Liebman, look her up sometime. She's just an uncelebrated Shaolin master of banging out jokes. And uh, yeah, everybody knows Robin Williams, so look her up. Oh. Kendra, where'd you go? The second question is, how did you go about finding your voice as ha. a dom? Ha! And the third... Wow, that's... <clears throat> what a great coincidence. Okay, so how I found my voice as a dom. Uh, so the first experience I had with BDSM, I've talked about this elsewhere, but briefly, uh, I was with a gal, and she's just like, hey, uh, I've got I've got this plastic piping. I want to call it PVC piping, but people always correct me and I'm dyslexic. <clears throat> I have this plastic piping and this duct tape. Uh, you, you, can I, can I bind you with pipes and ducts and uh, duct tape and, and we can have fun? And I went, yes. Uh, never really heard anything like it. Never heard of anything like it. Never did anything like it. Uh, very excited. Uh, and then she got me in my underwear and like on my knees and she got like the pipe through. And then she's like, okay, now that you're all ready, I'm going to go get a glass of water. And then she was gone for, you know, over five minutes. She really drew it out. And uh, be this was her mistake. I didn't really understand what I was supposed to be doing. I just knew it was fun and we were about to be naked. Uh, so I kind of slipped out and kind of Houdini, like she, you know, she didn't put me in really good. Uh, so I just kind of got out and just stayed in that same position with the pipe tucked behind my arms. And then when she came back, I grabbed her real good and made her scream. Uh, and then after some stuff happened, that's not any of your business. Uh, we had a nice talk about what I was supposed to do instead. And she said, oh, I, you were supposed to just sit there and even if you could get out and you, you were supposed to just do that and obey me and let me torture you uh, and, and rule over you. And I went, no, I wasn't. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what you're supposed to do. I was going to control you and I was going to dominate you and I was going uh, to do that to you. And I went, yeah, but that's not right. And she goes, why not? I Because I, I want to do it to you. And... <laughs> So I kind of – I guess I kind of had the Dom voice largely formed <laughs> because coming into contact with this idea, I just went, no, that's wrong. No, I do it to you. That's how that's supposed to go. That's way more fun for both of us. Trust me. Listen, you asked me what 12.5% was so you could tip earlier. Let me plan this out. This is, this is what I – this is where I excel. <laughs> 
Uh, I had a conversation uh, with a, with another erotic audio lady. This is years ago, four years ago or so at this point. And she teased me mercilessly. I stopped talking to her because she was always, uh, quote unquote, teasing me. Um, because she would say stuff like, oh, I want to get sex so bad. When I want someone, I want to fuck them. And I just, oh, I want to, oh, I can't even keep my hands off them. And I, you know, I'm much more, I, I take a lot more pleasure in making someone wait, in giving them 80% and letting them know that I'm holding the other 20% back for funsies, for kicks. Uh, I do it that way. And I really enjoy it. I really – I do. I have a great deal of fun. Um, and how did that come about from the initial knowledge that this is how I wanted to have sex after being exposed to it? That – I tell you women all the time, and I mean this. I take bits and pieces from all of you to use against the rest of you. Really and truly, it's just that simple. It's like it's like a it's like a video game. Some of you drop items that help me fight other of you. It's really it's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> not any not not any guarantee individual woman has the secrets of the universe, but if you just, you know, if you listen to what a woman liked and why and you ask her some questions about that, I may just open up some doors. And so that's pretty much how that went. Last question because I keep getting way too tucky. question I have is what's been one of the most important things that you've learned about yourself this year? Ooh. I'm really excited to hear your answers. And thanks again for everything you do. Well, thank you so much, Kendra. What a great question to close it out on. I'm just trying to buy some time as I move my mouth while my brain is going without it. Hello. This is Jack's Mouth. You've always wondered what I would do if I were free. Well, here it is. Okay, I think he's coming back now. It was so nice to meet you. So, I think... This is really hard for me. Uh, I don't like bragging on myself. Um, but deep breath. I think the most important thing I've learned so far this year is that I'm doing way, 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 way better than I thought, and I always have been. Um, I, I went into this a little bit more in depth with, with patrons uh, recently, so forgive me if I'm a little bit brief here, but basically since June, it's just felt like... It's felt like everything's just falling into place, even though nothing's gone particularly well for me. Uh, I've dealt with all the difficulties and frustrations of this period, I think, pretty well. I, I'm pretty rough on myself, grading in those categories. Things have not been easy or smooth or cheap uh, or bountiful in 2019 at all. And I've just, especially these last four months, uh, since I took uh, some medication for my body, uh, ha have mentally and emotionally been swell. The last hundred days have been however grumpy I've gotten or, or frustrated or short with, with all the world events going on or uh, political events going on or personal stuff. Um, I felt good. 
And all my life, I, I got put in a corner and insulted and demeaned, maybe rightfully so. I, I don't know. doesn't feel like it. Uh, for my, my temperament not being what people thought it should be, uh, for my reactions being definitely over the top and definitely self-serving and selfish. Um, but I am beginning the process after these hundred and some days of accepting that that person that I've been this whole time to some degree wasn't me. Uh, and some to me was just constant fatigue and illness day to day while still having to do all the things that somebody who's not sick or ill got. And a large amount of my reaction seems to be just the frustration with the world at large, but specifically people close to me that I trust and love, just not seeming to hear me when I say, I need special consideration, I need your patience. But now that voice is not nearly as angry. Um, and when I don't get it, it doesn't feel like I'm being slowly pushed off a cliff. It used to feel like when I wasn't being heard, I was slowly being dragged out of a village and left to exile, or I was slowly being pushed off the plank by people going, we just, we love you, and we know you can do better, okay? That's what this is, all right? We love you, and we know you can do better, and you're clearly not actually sick if you can play video games or if you can sit around and read. You can do that so you're not really sick, okay? We know that. And you're just saying it is what it felt like. Whatever whatever the people pushing me, quote-unquote, thought that they were doing, that's what it felt like. And so I, gosh, deep answer, apologies for it. I wanted to have a fun little question-answer segment. We went all deep. Um, the, the most important thing I've learned or that I'm trying to start learning is that I do have a lot, lot, lot more reserve at least now, at least currently, than I've ever had before when it comes to dealing with frustration, when it comes to dealing with aggravation, when it comes to dealing with my big underlying flaw as a person to date, which is just not being able to handle certain interpersonal situations. Once they hit a certain level of conflict or, or intensity or dismissal, I just really couldn't handle it in the way I can handle everything else. And the difference between the maturity and the intellect and the cognition that I am displaying in this question and answer segment and when that fell off, I think was way too sharp of a divide and I think it freaked people the fuck out. And that divide is just, it's smaller. It's much smaller, and I want to close it to nothing, and I want to eventually just get angry at people, and like a TV or a movie character, I don't have a better example in my real life. I don't have anybody who handled this their anger this well. I want to fully lose my temper and be enraged at someone and just dismiss them. No profanity, no insult, just say, you got to go. Hey, you got to leave. Hey, we're done. And that's where I want to get. And if that's too hard, once I get there, we'll find it out. But that's where I want to get.
So uh, I learned that I can get there, and I learned that I should, and I'm I'm just trying to figure out the best way that I can do it. Um, so I want to leave this on a slightly higher note. So for anybody who got this far, my God, thank you. Um, what what does that mean? What does that look like practically? Well, um, the best way I think I can be forgiven for my past outbreaks and bad behavior and 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 really poor temperament is not to go back to the people whom I've hurt. I don't think they want that or they need that. Uh, I've done that damage and I have to live with that. And I think going back to them would be to some degree just to, to ease my own suffering, right? Um, but the good side about how I live and how I think and how I feel about redemption, about progress, about growing as a person is that I can do it going forward. To make amends to the people I've heard in the past, I can simply just not have outbreaks in the future. Uh, I do have control over that. I do. I have learned. Whether it's so, let's just say it's all bullshit, and um, I'm still as much of a loose cannon as I've ever been, uh, and I'm just having a real good hundred some days. Well, then I've just had a real good hundred some days. So I just need to learn how to keep having 100-some days in a row until they become 200-some days in a row, until they become 300-some days in a row, yada, yada. However, there, however we proceed from here, I have my goal in mind, and I know I can reach it. <sighs> you know, <laughs> when you guys asked for the question segment back, uh, I didn't think it was going to quite go like this. Golly, golly. Just listen to how much more full of myself I am, I think, these days, all healed up. And not not struggling as much. It's just going to get worse from here. And speaking of just getting worse from here, that was the podcast. Uh, I mean, it's just going to get better from here. Just going to get better and better and better, baby. It really is. Don't worry that the season is almost over. There will be some holiday bonus stuff. I promise. I absolutely promise. And it's going to be real fun getting it up for you all. All right, guys, thank you one last time. That was the Nightly Pleasures Podcast, Season 2, Episode 10. I hope to see you here next week. I will be here, won't you? Until then. <laughs>